G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What makes God angry? Listen to this. God gets angry when we become a barrier to people coming to Christ. The Holy Spirit draws people to the Lord. Are we helping or hurting that work? Pastor Greg Laurie says, consider your part. Don't we want them to hear the Word of God? Don't we want them to be exposed to the gospel? Don't we want to call them to Christ? And so, are you a bridge or are you a barrier to people coming to Christ? Be a bridge. This is the day when the lost are found. Sometimes those who drive emergency vehicles like ambulances, police cars and fire trucks have a hard time getting to the accident. It's not just because of the curious onlookers who slow down at the scene, but because of the people who might have pulled over to help and they left their cars in the way. Now that kind of help actually doesn't help. Are we helping people to come to the Lord or are we just in the way? On A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us to do our part to bring people to Jesus Christ. What makes you really mad? Uh, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm usually very irritable when I'm hungry. My wife will even say, are you hungry? And I'll say, what do you mean am I hungry? She says, you just need to eat something. I think they call it being hangry, right? Not just angry, but hangry. That's hunger and anger combined together. But I have to admit, there are things that kind of irritate me, and a lot of them have to do with that little thing most of us carry around in our pocket called a cell phone. I mean, they've just taken our lives over. In many ways, they're ruining our lives. People don't even talk to each other anymore. Uh, you'll stand in a line for a cup of coffee and no one will say, hey, how you doing? How are things going? Everyone's looking at their phone, looking at their phone. People walk across crosswalks with looking at their phone and even maybe they have the green light, but people, be careful. But you know, when someone's talking to you, don't text. By the way, we know when you're texting down below the table and you're nodding and you're looking down periodically, we can tell because you're probably moving your lips as you text. Here's another one. When I'm in line at the, for the ATM machine, why do people wait until they get to the machine to take their card out? If you're waiting behind two people, couldn't you have done that already? How about this one? Why do I, I always get seated when I fly behind the person who needs to fully recline their seat. So the whole time I'm looking at their scalp. This doesn't happen to my wife. It always happens to me. Do I sound bitter? No, but listen, there are things that do anger us. And sometimes it can actually affect our health. According to a Harvard study that was done on anger, 10 million adult men in the United States are so angry they're actually physically sick. 
Their disease even has a name. It's intermittent explosive disorder, IED. Studies have revealed that bad-tempered people are three times more likely to have heart attacks. Also, when you're angry, you will often say and do really stupid things. One expert said, and I quote, the angrier we get, the more stupid we become. When our emotional brain is in charge, we see things in black and white, and we're likely to make stupid and damaging decisions. And think about it. Have you ever said something in anger to your spouse and you were just sure you were right to say that? Then the adrenaline kind of wears off and you see you've reduced them to tears and reality kicks in and, and you discover that that was really a rude thing to say. How about when you want to send that email off to someone and in fact as you're typing it, you're, you're typing really hard. You can't, I'm going to show, I'll say this to them. And then you hit send and then three seconds later you think, Maybe I shouldn't have sent that. And now you're Googling, how do I get my email back? Answer, you don't. It's too late. Think before you send it. I think sometimes it's a good idea. Type out the letter, just don't hit send. But here's something that might surprise you. Sometimes it's good to be angry. There's a good kind of anger. In fact, you can tell a lot about a person by what they laugh at and what makes them angry. I think the key is we don't want to have sinful anger. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath or give place to the devil. You might be surprised to know that even Jesus Christ himself at times was angry. What made Jesus angry? Well, we're going to look at that in our message today. And we're also going to look at what makes God sad. Yes, God can experience sadness just like you and I can. We're gonna see a story before us here where Jesus shows both deep sorrow and righteous indignation. And this is all around the topic of Palm Sunday. You know, I think a lot of times people don't really understand Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday to Easter is sort of what Thanksgiving is to Christmas. We just get through it. Well, Palm Sunday is a very significant day. It's a day, of course, when Christ came into Jerusalem riding the donkey and what we often call the triumphal entry. But really, it was the countdown to Calvary. Jesus was very intentional and he was on his way into the city to begin that final part of his ministry. Uh, he was very popular at this point. His name was on everybody's lips. He had a huge following on social media. He was blowing up Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Not really, but if it had been this day, it would have been similar. Everybody was talking about Jesus. And so they heard, Jesus is coming to town. And verse 11 of the chapter before it says, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So the people thought, this is it. Jesus is going to overthrow the stinking Romans and we're going to be free again and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. So people began to celebrate. People were very excited. But they were misunderstanding his mission. He was not coming to overthrow Rome's army. He was rather coming to set in order God's temple. And so in many ways this was a bitter sweet day. It was sweet because people were singing his 
praises for a moment, but it was bitter because these same fickle people were gonna turn on him in a short period of time. Some of the people who were saying Hosanna on Palm Sunday were saying crucify him only days later. But he was coming to fulfill his purpose. So let's read what happened on the first Palm Sunday. Look at Luke chapter 19 starting at verse 37. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessing on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, Jesus began to weep, saying, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. So here in the first Palm Sunday, Jesus was doing something that was what we might call a real attention getter. You know, Jesus would perform a miracle. He would touch a person and he would often say, my hour has not yet come. Don't tell anybody, my hour has not yet come. Well, now his hour has come. The hour for Jesus to go and voluntarily die on the cross. Well, thanks for joining us. You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie. He's the Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. As we begin to prepare our hearts for Easter, Pastor Greg is helping us to set the stage with a message called Palm Sunday, The Real Story. It seems odd to us to think about Jesus riding into town on a donkey. I mean, it seems like an Arabian stallion would be more apropos, right? But he chooses a donkey. I think sometimes we think that's sort of a humble creature that one would not want to ride if they were coming in as a victory. You know, the President of the United States has a special limo. It has its own plane. Wherever the president goes, that limo goes, and it's called the Beast. It's an adapted Cadillac with eight-inch armor plating, bulletproof windows, and much more. And it's followed by a string of cars. So it's a huge entourage. It's very impressive. I've been in Washington, D.C., and I've seen this car drive by, the Beast, with the president of the United States inside of it. You know, very impressive. Dun, 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 right, okay. Imagine for a moment if instead of that incredible adapted Cadillac car the president drives in, he drove something more along the lines of a Prius, the presidential <laughs> Prius. Instead of dun, 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 it would be more like Yeah, it's not very impressive. So that's how we may sort of see Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Why would he pick that creature? Actually, the meaning was not lost on the Romans or the Jews. It was really a perfect choice. You see, in Roman culture, when a hero returned from war as a victor, he would come back on a donkey and they would lay palm branches out before him. So for the Romans, he was effectively declaring himself as a king. But in Jewish culture, they also knew that when Messiah came, he would come also 
riding a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He's just having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey. So this was something that was very significant and the people understood it. Verse 38 says, They cried out, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Another gospel tells us they use the word Hosanna. Understand, the word Hosanna means save now. So contextually what they were saying was, Jesus, do it now. Establish your kingdom now. Overthrow these Roman tyrants now. And what does Jesus do? Verse 41 says, he saw the city and he wept over it. Wait, what? Here everyone's having a party. They're excited. They're singing, celebrate good times. Come on. Dun, 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 dun. And Jesus is standing there crying. I wonder if anybody even noticed. But why was Jesus crying? Because his ministry was almost over. Time was short. And by and large, he had been rejected. The Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. Jesus healed their sick. He raised their dead. He cleansed their lepers. He fed their hungry. And he forgave their sins. But at this point, he's mostly alone and rejected. And he knew that one of his own disciples was about to betray him, Judas Iscariot. We always want to paint Judas as a complete villain. He really was a complete villain. But he didn't come off that way at first. He was among the 12 disciples, handpicked by Jesus, and considered to be a friend by Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to Judas Iscariot when Judas led the temple guard to arrest Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus said to Judas, friend, why have you come? Friend? How about fiend? Why have you come? He called him friend. You remember how the scripture tells us that Messiah is asked where he received those wounds and he said, I received them in the house of my friends. Jesus was weeping because he had been rejected. Jesus was weeping because he would be betrayed. Not only that, he would be betrayed by one of his friends and he knew also that Simon Peter would deny him and most of the disciples would go into hiding and this broke his heart. So we've seen what makes God sad. Unbelief makes God sad. Rejection of his promises makes God sad. But let me ask this, what makes God mad? Go to Luke chapter 19, look at verse 45. He went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the Gospel of Mark gives us a few more details about this because in Mark eleven fifteen it says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out the merchants and their customers and knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves. So he was saying, I don't like what's going on here. What was going on there? There were people that were taking advantage of those who had come to worship in the temple. They would have these approved animals that they could use in the sacrifices that they would sell to the folks at jacked up prices. 
So if you came with your own animal, they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, that's blemish. You can't offer that. But we're having a great deal on our special pre-approved kosher sacrificial lambs. Why don't you buy one of these? Listen, instead of praying for the people, they were praying on the people and they were actually keeping people from worshiping God. Know this, even in the Old Testament, God wanted both Gentile and Jew to believe in Him. And though the temple belonged to the Jewish people, it was open to the Gentiles as well. So summing it up, what makes God angry? Listen to this, God gets angry when we become a barrier to people coming to Christ. And listen to this, this can happen in the church as well. Uh, you know, we can become a very exclusive club and someone that's not one of us, in quotes, whatever that would be in your mind, comes in, we might say, well wait, why are they in church? Well look at that, why would they wear a shirt with that slogan why would she dress that way in church? Why would he come here with obviously the issues he's dealing with? Wait a second, is, is that a gay couple there in church? Why would they be in church? Oh, is that person transsexual? Should they be in church? Listen, the church should be available to everyone. It's not just a place for us to worship, it's a place for us to reach out to lost people that need Jesus Christ. Here's my question to you. Are you a bridge or are you a barrier to people coming to Christ? Be a bridge. Yeah, you know, figure it out. Sometimes people that come to church aren't Christians yet. Don't we want them to hear the Word of God? Don't we want them to be exposed to the gospel? Don't we want to call them to Christ? Remember, one of the criticisms of Jesus himself when he walked this earth was, he's a friend of sinners. Yes, he was. Because he wanted those sinners to become saints. How can a sinner become a saint if I'm not having a dialogue with them and communication with them? And so Jesus was angry that these people were being driven away. And I think we need to pray and say, Lord, I want to be a bridge to non-believers coming to believe in you. It's Pastor Greg Laurie with important insight on being an effective partner with the Lord in bringing people to faith. Glad you've joined us today on A New Beginning. Well, tomorrow, Pastor Greg brings more insight on the significance of Palm Sunday as we prepare our hearts for the Easter celebration here on A New Beginning. But before we go, we're all talking about COVID-19 and the impact it's had on our country and our world. We need to make sure we're taking this crisis to the Lord. Here's Pastor Greg taking a moment to pray. Let's all pray. Father, I pray right now for anyone who has lost a loved one due to the coronavirus. Lord, I'm asking for your comfort to be extended to them because you are the God of all comfort. And if that person was a believer, we rejoice that we will see him again. And they're not only a part of our past, but they're also a part of our future. Comfort the broken hearted. I pray for protection for anybody here who's been exposed to the coronavirus. Lord, let them not get sick. And if they are sick, Lord, heal them quickly. Uh, quicken the healing process. And Lord, I pray that you will use this moment to wake up the church, to share the gospel. 
uh, as Billy Graham did so faithfully in his day, and we would share the gospel with our generation. We pray that you will send a spiritual awakening. We're overwhelmed by this pandemic, and we don't know what to do. We're reminded of the story of Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, who was overwhelmed by his enemy, and he said, We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you, Lord. And Father, our eyes are upon you now. Intervene, hear our prayer, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for a copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called Palm Sunday, The Real Story. Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-5011. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.